Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, today joining us is Michelle Gillette. Uh, she's a certified life coach and certified an optimal brain health coach with an emphasis on Alzheimer's prevention. Super excited to hear all about that. She also is certified in functional medicine, which is to help you optimize or help us because I mean, I, I need a little tweaking in that area of the mind, body, wellness, and nutrition. Uh, we're also going to today talk about some of the physiological links to depression and other mental health uh, issues that we're all struggling with. Welcome, Michelle Gillette. How are you? Michelle? Hi there. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. What a great topic to be discussing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I want to dive right in because we met briefly and, uh, you know, you shared your story about how um, you have a, a personal experience with someone who had ended their life. And yeah. that's where our conversation started. Can you please talk to us about that? Sure. So I am the daughter of someone who died by suicide. Um, my, I was 13. My father had been in the military and had multiple brain injuries. He was also a boxer. He also was a horse whisperer, so he got bucked off horses. So who knows how many brain injuries he had. As much as I know about brain injury now, I have to attribute some of his life, you know, adult life was plagued with depression and with migraines, horrible migraines. And it, it landed him to make some poor decisions, to not be able to keep a job. He never got proper medical care. Um, he just could never get past it. These were just, it was pain and demons that kind of just stuck with him through his life. Um, and he ended up ending it after two, two attempts. He ended up when I was 13 years old. Um, and I look at it now and I think, huh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people don't understand TBI and how much of an impact that can have on the circulation in your brain, the performance of your brain, your cognition, your mood, everything. I mean, where you get hit changes how you think. And um, so that's one of the reasons I went into brain health among, uh, among, among others. I mean, my grandmother had cough decline. She was my best friend ever since I, you know, my young life and, and even in my adult life. My son had an autoimmune disease that attacked his own brain. It's called PANDAS, pediatric auto neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcal. They call it PANDAS. And so, so I don't know that everyone understands really that they can have infections that can cause OCD, looping fears, um, anxiety, depression. I had my own autoimmune condition and that affected my my own mood um, called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So your hormone balances and your thyroid can affect your brain. So those and more things happen, friends. And, and so the, the suicide was for sure a life. Um, it's not something I would think about my whole life. Um, and then these other things kind of, I always say brain, I didn't find brain health, it found me. But the suicide was something that I have thought about my whole life. So my own mental wellness has always been a really high priority. Anytime I would start to feel down, I would look at it. I'd be introspective. I would seek um, tools to not end up like my father because I, at the time I didn't know it was probably related to possibly related to brain trauma. I thought this might be genetic. So until I was 43, because he died at 42, 
I thought, wow, this could, this is like a cuckoo clock that's going to go off in my brain, you know, and just one day I might be what they called manic depression back then or bipolar, um, like they had diagnosed with him. That could just, I thought I would just wake up one day and that might be me. So I've been very aware of um, life tools that kind of helped me choose things as much as I could to avoid, um, you know, doing drugs or things that would maybe lead me more down the depression path. Um, Not that everybody, you know, causes that on their own, but I just took every prevention I could, that I could circumvent his path. So I was careful with brain injury. I was careful with drug abuse. I was careful with just everything I could be careful with so that I could have a better outcome. You mentioned, you know, that it sounds like your father was diagnosed with, uh, what you said, manic depression at the time? That's what they called it then, yeah, manic depression. And later, in his later years, they called it bipolar. And So so I don't know which it was. For you now, have you, and I'm, I'm assuming that part of your mental health journey was going to therapy, have you had any diagnosis? No, um, I should have. I, I had severe separation anxiety when I was little. Severe. Like I would not let go of my grand, my grandmother's leg and she got kicked off the bowling team. Like I really was like, it was bad. Now they would have put me in therapy. Um, I did, uh, I, I ended up with a little bit of OCD, uh, but I, I just never really, I didn't really do much therapy because my childhood was so, that there were so many trials traumas in it that what they would get a hold of me and their eyes would kind of like roll in their head and I knew I'd be a year talking about it all and I just really wanted something more pragmatic um I wanted like I'm very results oriented and I just wanted a quicker fix I didn't have the patience or the money to do it um so I would go for a couple times and then I would stop going and I eventually did get a lot of help through life coaching actually um and then later on therapy which I did need. And I would say the best help was really learning about somatic healing of trauma, of, of, of trauma that, you know, that is the shrapnel that kind of came back in my later years was how our bodies respond later. They say the, the body keeps score. My body kept score and it showed up in an autoimmune disease. So um, I, I think, I think that's was a, like a, a big root cause for it. It often is for people, childhood trauma, then links to your cell danger response going off a lot. Um, you, when you don't know what to expect and there's a lot of inconsistency, your adrenals are going off, you're in fight or flight a lot, and your body just kind of gives out at some point. Um, so a lot of people don't know sometimes that their underlying like childhood traumas are sticking with them. So I'm really happy to see Oprah now going and doing this new, pro- new program that she's doing with um, Prince, Her- Prince Harry talking about ch- childhood trauma. Yeah, looking back at your father, just to go back just a little bit before we get into the life tools, um, even before the traumatic brain injury that your your dad suffered, and uh, did you feel like there was childhood trauma in his past? Were you able to explore that at all? Um, you know, I tried, and there was some, um, but I got I've gotten really mixed stories. You know, one side of the family says none, somebody else says plenty. I mean, I don't know what's true. I wish he were around to ask at this point, but I can't identify it. Um, not, not really obvious, um, ones, but they're not, you know, there's, there's some stuff that I wonder about. Yeah. So when this, you talked about somatic healing, you said that was the most effective tool. Can you talk to us more about that? Because I know I have so many listeners out there struggling with depression or, you know, bipolar disorder. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, 
there's a, um, I, I think I actually misspoke. It's Oprah Winfrey and um, she and her, it was, it's not actually the program she's doing with Prince Harry. It's with um, Bruce Perry um, with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. And it's what happened to you conversations on trauma, resilience and healing. And so one of the things that, that they discuss, and there's um, there are some podcasts you can find on it or, or zoom, uh, I'm sorry, like uh, YouTube videos you can find that this book just came out. So there's going to be a lot about this. Um, but going into the past and, and addressing sometimes like the subconscious, there's, there's things you can do in cognitive behavioral therapy and talk therapy where you can, you know, you can talk about things, but there's some things that are in our body, like stored in our body. So there's different therapies. Some are EMDR. Um, some people can do things with tapping. Um, and I have just found my understanding for me, because I geek out on this stuff, my understanding of how those things affect our nervous system, um, just the awareness alone was so relieving for me. And I can give you an example if, you, if you'd like. Um, we have something called the cell danger response, the CDR, and it is sending messages throughout our entire body and our cells about whether, you know, whether we are safe. We have over 200,000 years of evolution telling us, hey, if you're rejected, you're not safe. If you're abandoned, you're not safe. If somebody looks at you and they look mean and they look like they're going to hurt you, you're not safe. Right? We have all these messaging going off within our, in, just from our DNA, because if you were left on the Serengeti as a baby, you were abandoned, you were dead, right? So it's being recreated in society in ways of like, you want to be in the center of the pack. If you're a cow, you don't want to be the one out on the outskirts because you're going to get picked off. If you're in the mammal or your primate world, you want to be part of that core. If you're one of the monkeys on the outside, you're going to get picked off. If you're in the mafia, you want to be one of the top guys. You don't want to be, you know, rat face on the outside. <laughs> like you're going to get picked off. Like you want to be on the high school, look at high school, right? So there's all these ways that are hierarchy where we're comparing ourselves to other people and wondering where are, are we? Like, you know, assessing all the time, where are we? Our body is picking up those as dangers. So when we're not as cool as somebody on Instagram, we're like, oh, where am I in hierarchy? We have this mammal brain telling us, where are we? And if we're not top dog, anxiety can happen that triggers that cell danger response. So if somebody rejects us or we feel rejected, those are bigger feelings than we've given us ourselves credit for how that affects our body. We are assaulted by foods and, and <laughs> that are unhealthy for us and thoughts that are unhealthy for us and social comparisons and real life traumas. And it's a lot, even just even our lighting that's not you know, allowing our circadian rhythm to work properly. So we're not sleeping. We've got junk lighting, right? We've got all these things assaulting our body. So our bodies are going off all, you know, a lot of us in, in fight or flight or freeze. And it's too much on our body. So that's a long winded way of saying that like, that with all with the way evolution is when we look at we go oh my body's just doing what it thinks it's supposed to be doing i i was sitting here thinking i was a failure because i have you know my body aches or my have i'm slowing down or i need to shut down or i can't be effective or i'm distracted or i'm whatever we want to call ourselves it's our body being overtaxed by little henpecking of the of the universe right so when we give ourselves a break and say, oh, maybe I did have an infection, a, a tooth infection that, you know, I got a root canal and my infection went out through my body systemically. I didn't even think about that. Or maybe, 
maybe it my body was just being trying to survive and so it sent all these alerts out and that's why i'm so exhausted and i don't have the motivation right now i'm in protection mode i'm not in go thrive mode i'm in save myself mode based on evolution just knowing that and then seeing when i was a little girl what some of the things i was witnessing and experiencing with the parents that i had and the situations i had i had wonderful resilience with my grandmother and i had some other things that weren't great so when i look at you know being a child in that environment even just a baby within your first two months what happens to you when you're a baby is setting your nervous system up so there are babies that have you know not been held for two months they're that's showing up in their behavior at, at, at age 16 or 14 or you know and people go what's wrong with that kid the setup wasn't ideal. If you don't get the reflection back from your mom for whatever reason, I'm not blaming moms, but like if mom has, doesn't have the ability to reflect to this baby, you're safe with her intonation, the way her voice is, if it's calming, if it's lovely, that our nervous system will pick up, our inner ear will actually pick up and say, oh, I'm safe and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm re it's reflecting back that I'm safe and I'm good, right? Like we don't have language for that, but our body knows it, it's reading it. When we have someone who's not looking at us, like there's studies, you can look on YouTube, this, this one study, you just watch it for two minutes and you watch the baby not being picked up by the mom and the terror that goes on this baby's face. You see it. And those are the things that form our nervous system and our ability to connect with other human beings later in life from that young age. Just understanding that goes, oh, no wonder why I get, I get, uh, I do this in relationships where I get scared. No wonder why I push people away or I get clingy or I whatever, whatever the thing is that we're blaming ourselves for. I'm flawed. I'm not good at relationships. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not good at, uh, at calmness. I'm not good at whatever. We don't have to beat ourselves up at so much. So the somatic healing can go do those parts that we can't rationalize, even though for me, like learning all that was a fabulous relief of like, oh, that's what that separation anxiety was from. I thought I was going to die. You know, my cells thought they were going to die and giving ourselves a break because we're really just those who have anxiety and those things, they're over-functioning, you know, based on a lie, we're not going to get killed by this tiger because we're not around a tiger. We can feed ourselves. We can find shelter. We can probably find love. You know, we're not at, we're not at that risk. So that's the thing is we're believing the lies based on a really amazing body system that is really just doing what it thinks it needs to be doing. So that's a different approach of looking at our bodies that we otherwise would say are failing us. We can give that body some love. So the, the body intuitively knows and, and is picking up on external cues and then is responding in such a way. It's like when we watch a, a movie, there's a reason why we, we close off and get scared if it's a horror movie, right? Like, we yeah. know intellectually or cerebrally that there's no harm that's going to come to us, but our, mm -hmm. our brain is, you know, our eyes are like picking it up and is, we're picking up these brain signals and it just feels real. So, you know, we yell or we scream or we toss the popcorn or et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we're picking up mm -hmm. those cues as we are walking down the street at night or walking to our car from work uh, or what have you. Absolutely. And one great example of it is Marissa Peer. If you've ever seen her, she does a hypnotherapist. She uses this example of a lemon. And she says, pretend like you pick up a lemon and you cut it in half. I mean, kind of follow along with me and, and do this yourself. 
and you pick it up like you're going to bite into it and you smell it first and then you bite into the lemon. And then what happens when you think of a lemon or you're smelling a lemon or you bite into the lemon? We can, our salvate, our salvate, salvation, salivary glands start to produce saliva. Okay, that's a fake ass lemon I just held. <laughs> Didn't do like that is not even a real lemon. We know that, but I, I did get like my, my salivary glands were reacted, right? We reacted. So, and if anyone doesn't believe that, I mean, who's looked at a picture of, of some girl in a dorm in Playboy or something and been like aroused and like, you know, you're not, that was, that was last year's issue and she's not there and you're not meeting her. <laughs> but hey, was there a response? Like our body is responding to these cues, visual cues, auditory cues, even just the sound of someone's voice, somebody ignoring us, all that stuff. It's happening to us all the time. You know, I'm glad you brought up, you know, visual cues, auditory cues, uh, you know, uh, olfactory cues. You know, I've read somewhere when people are trying to work through their trauma that it's important to become aware of those senses while they were undergoing the trauma. Uh, can you mm -hmm. talk about that and speak to that and why that's useful to, to really tap into what they were sensing at the time of the trauma and why that's beneficial to work through it? Sure. It, so some people will be reintroduced to something in a clinical situation slowly. And it's like an exposure theory ther therapy where they'll slowly give pieces of it and be like, okay, here's, here's the smell of Play-Doh. If that was the, you know, let's just pretend it's Play-Doh. Um, and that, they realize, okay, I'm safe in this environment and I can smell Play-Doh a little bit more next time or somebody's perfume or whatever it is, right? So that's some, there's some exposure therapy they might do. But, you know, um, one person can smell Play-Doh and it's great and somebody else can and it's not. So it's like, we never know, or two people who are twins could and like one person had the trauma and the other person, it's just like they're not, or they could have even been this, done the same thing, but it doesn't trigger them the same way. So it's really like, there's no like Plato's bad. And, you know, <laughs> it's really like, how is it for somebody personally? And then what exposure therapy would it require for them to kind of reintroduce it and feel safer about it? So that's why some people in relationships after having traumatic, like it's, I've experienced this myself after getting divorced, being in a relationship and, and where I don't feel really safe, but I'm like, Oh, I really need to learn how to feel safe in a relationship. Right. That was like, too much. It was jarring. And then, you know, now I'm with somebody who's like a safe person who's, it's amazing the difference. So like you, you can, you can re-traumatize yourself a little bit by, by like overexposure thinking, Oh, I got to do this. I got to get this. And you know, you might not be ready for that. Like you might want to do it incrementally in small, safe way, you know, like in ways that are actually not so hard on yourself. So, so, so one of the ways of healing is sometimes re-addressing the sound, the sight, the feeling, the nervous system, whatever, but, but in a safe, small baby step kind of way, whether you're in therapy or whether you're just out in the world, you can kind of do it with yourself. Like, you know what, that person's way too toxic. I'm getting triggered all over the place and just being aware of those triggers. And, and you know, you're not, there's no rule that we, we need to be great every day and, and, and be able to deal with everybody. There's no, there's toxic foods, there's toxic people, there's toxic thoughts. And part of my way of living is crowding out like i'm not gonna there's still gonna be some toxic people and and but when i have resilience because i've minded my environment and i made it a one that feels good to me 
I have more resilience to deal with the people who are toxic if I have to, but that's not who I'm going to choose to be around. So some people of us can just monitor, like, who, who do we really feel good about and not force ourselves all the time to be, I should be able to be with this person and be fine. Like, you know, I mean, some kids have to with the teacher they don't like. Yeah, you got to learn how to do that. I mean, there's, it's a balance, right? But voluntarily being in a relationship with someone who, you know, or roommates with or, or, you know, going out with it kind of does the like the little digs. That's a friend of me. No, bye. <laughs> you, don't you mentioned that you didn't feel safe in your prior relationship and in, in your marriage. And now you're in a relationship where you do feel safe. Are, are you, have you been able to distill what is it about your current relationship that allows you to um, feel safe? Yeah. So really it wasn't my marriage. My, my marriage, I did actually feel really safe. I just dated um, somebody who was um, not, um, who was inconsistent and it wasn't that there was anything scary about him. He just, his behavior was really inconsistent. It was really loving. And then, eh, and then really loving. And then he just kind of be gone and he had his own things going on and it really wasn't even about me, but it triggered me and my abandonment stuff that I thought I had dealt with. And I thought I should, I'm a life coach. I coach other people on dating. I should be able to do this and I'm going to force myself to do it. And I kept going back and going, Oh, I need to get better at this. And then finally I was like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> this one is like, I, I owned my shit. Now this is like, this isn't, it doesn't work. So now I'm, I'm dating someone who is just, Oh my God. So consistent and loving and just even our chemistry is just, it's just, I don't know, on a cellular level really um i don't know the 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 way he looks at me the way he talks to me the way he communicates the way he does things his actions line up with what he says like things that i need you know i i'm a strong uh, badass female and i didn't think i needed all that until i got it and i was like oh that's what it's supposed to feel like i didn't i didn't know it felt so good to get that kind of really wonderful, consistent attention. It's, and, it, and it does. And I was like, I'm kind of pissed that I waited 54 years to figure that shit out, <laughs> you know, but I did. So I say thank you all the time because he's really, it's really nice. It's a nice, you know, and sometimes we don't grow up with that. We don't grow up with the reflection from your parents that you're really worth, you know, all that. So you accept less because you're accustomed to less and it's familiar. You're, might, you might be like, you know, oh, they were inconsistent. So I'm going to continue to, inconsistent people are familiar to me. Right. Well, and, and, and then they try, you know, you might try to like, a lot of people do this. They try to recreate, finally win the win, get that love from that person who's avoidant. And then you're like, oh, here I am again with somebody who's avoidant because I chose somebody like my parents. So that's not a safe place to continue to be. It's one day waking up and going, no, I, I deserve not an entitled way, but like I'm a giving, loving person. I deserve that back too. And I'm worthy of it. And so it's from a place of, of self-honoring to stop doing the things that continue to trigger you, you know, waking up to that one day. Yeah. So, so for me, I would just say it is, it is like, honest, honestly, it's just like my nervous system corresponds with his nerve, nervous system. Like, I don't, we, they just talk and get along really well and, you know, make each other happy on that, on that level. That's very, feels very safe. I, I, I love that. And I also love that in the beginning you, you were talking about 
you know, how our hormones affect how we show up, our, our mental health. And I know mm-hmm. that hormones can change as we age. I, you know, I was reading somewhere, it was like that men's testosterone goes down in their 40s, Uh-oh. but women's testosterone goes up and how that can yeah. affect the dynamic of a relationship yeah. and also your mental health. If you're not aware that your hormones are changing, we just associate it with high school, right? But nobody t- yeah, tells yeah, us yeah. about that, that next hormonal uh, imbalance or ch- transition in our 40s. Yeah, well, you're touching on a really, before, I think you and I may have discussed it when I met, but I was laughing that like we're all turning into Pat. Like I, the women are getting more testosterone, the men are getting less. Like, but it's, it's, really, like a, it's really like a pandemic right now um, with men. And I want to say like a rate of like, we have 30%, men have 30% less testosterone than they did 20 years ago. And there's a whole, that's a whole other topic. This doctor I'm working with, Dr. Tracy Gappin, if anyone wants to go to his website, he talks all about it. And it's a lot of endocrine disruptors. The, the foods we're eating, the, the plastic bottles we're drinking out of, the creams we're putting on ourselves with all the parabens. And uh, I mean, there's a lot there to, to look at, but men are, anyways, young boys are really rapidly dropping their testosterone. It's a problem. It's a really big problem. And that's not just, you know, sexual, for sexual reasons that somebody wants testosterone, it's drive. It's, it's, it's mental, it's cognitive wellness. It is, it's, you know, it is the difference between sometimes depression and non-depression. Like it's, it's a big deal. And um, that has a lot to do with environmental factors for sure. There's even some, um, some, God, there's some frogs that have gone from being male to female based on some pesticides. I mean, they have gone from male to female, like it is like it's happening and it's in science and it's, it's not, it's not just one of those like fake news things. There's scientists looking at it. It's kind of scary actually. So back to hormones that those affect moods too. So we have dopamine, which is really funny in relationships is that like, you know, you get, some of us get really used to those dopamine hits and it being exciting. And then sometimes the safe person doesn't, it's not as like the dopamine hit because it's not the challenge and the undulations and the, you know, that all that that people get attached to, like the adrenaline and the, you know, they get used to that. So that hits people in the relationship zone sometimes. Um, but it's one thing I think um, we may have talked about when I met you was one example of a, of a hormone and how it affects mental health is I don't know that people realize that some of their genetics indicate there's a way that they can get their genetics tested and can find out what kind of food, not just what kind of foods, but like when they eat, the timing of when they eat based on their genetics. For instance, there's one gene. Um, I won't say which one it is because I'm, I think it's COMT, but I'm not 100% sure. So just let's pretend like I, like, I'm just not going to tell you which one it is. (laughs) And it is if, if you, so my son has this and it was a brilliant thing to find out um, for him was that if he doesn't have protein in the morning, he will go through his dopamine too fast in the day, according to his genetics. And a lot of people who find that they've got addiction issues, whether it be addiction to porn or gambling or video gaming or whatever, find that they, have, they hit a lull in the afternoon and want to go reach for something. They can head that off at the pass by having protein, the proper amount of protein. So there's so many wonderful things people can find out about themselves if they want to become their own scientist, become the world's leading expert on themselves, 
look at what how they can optimize their diet how can they optimize their hormones how can they optimize you know the the products they're using so that they're not you know degrading their endocrine endocrine system so there's all these things that people are doing that they don't know that they're doing and they're beating themselves up they're beating themselves up thinking oh my brain should be my mood should be better i should be you know skipping on a beach with somebody like somebody on instagram and they're not and they're feeling bad about it and then so their cell danger response keeps going off because they're beating themselves up with their thoughts and they just go down and down and down and can't get out how do you disrupt the thoughts what's your what's your strategy because you know we can't everybody's trying to eliminate everything how to eliminate fear yeah. how to eliminate anxiety and it's it's a part of life it's a part of who we are so for you when when these intrusive obsessive thoughts come in how do you disrupt that? So a couple things. One, I do want to make sure that my, I mean, I really do believe in physiologically being as optimal as I can so that I, so I can rule out that there's something chemically going on. Right. So that, so that, that's, that's number one. So if I know that I'm, but even still something might come in like, um, you know, like a trigger or anxiety or something like that. And one of the questions I ask myself is, what am I making this mean? So if somebody didn't call me back immediately or somebody like, you know, didn't you, I mean, my daughter sent me a text the other day. She's, she's turned 18. She's like, why aren't you, why are you using punctuation all of a sudden? It sounds mean in your text. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, you put a period after it. You weren't using punctuation before, but now you are. She's reading into it that I was mad at her because I put a period at the end of the sentence. I'm like, Oh, good Lord. So, we're reading stuff and I mean, she doesn't have any kind of like issue with that. She's just telling me like, I guess the young people don't use punctuation now and they only do when they're mad. Who, do, who the hell knows? People are taking information and make, making a story about it. That's not true. I just grew up where you use punctuation, you know? So someone her age, if I was texting with them, like say I was going to hire someone her age, they'd be like, this boss is so mean. She uses periods. Like, you know, we can make anything into a story. So I asked myself, what am I making this mean? And is it true? Because we can make anything mean anything. Like, you know, you, you want to find danger, you'll find it. You want to find something good, you'll find it. Like, seek and you shall find. So, um, so that is taking responsibility for like, is this even true? This thing I'm spinning about? Like, so stopping it there. That would be one measure I take. Um, boy, Breathing, this book by um, James Nestor and Breathe. And he, I mean, this is just fascinating, right? So breathing better and getting the right oxygen. I mean, anybody who can learn some great breathing techniques, breathing through, through situations, that's physiologically proven and through science that that's a really good use. Um, and everyone talks about mindfulness. I would say find one that really works for you. It's not, I mean, sitting there like this for me, I have a squirrel brain with so many ideas. I get like a popcorn machine of ideas. I don't do that well, but you know what I do well? I walk. And I knit, they're not even knitting. I loom these little baby hats. They, I make a little, like one baby hat in a half an hour. It's repetitive motion. And then I have a baby hat to donate to babies with cancer. I feel really good about that. Like that's one of my meditations. I paint. So you can find the one that's right for you. Um, I do try and sit there still sometimes. Um, so I think, you know, there's so much out there. Some people will use the Calm app or whatever the thing is. It's like, I would just say, Give yourself the freedom to experiment and have maybe four things to use in your toolbox. Because some days walking is not going to happen for me. And I'm, you know, but tortilla chips 
might be the thing that's calling my name. And I gotta think of some alternative to tortilla chips because they make me tired, but I love them. They're like my, they're my vice and they're not a good one. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be eating corn, right? So like when I go like, oh, I'm in this mood and I'm, and I want to chew on something and I'm like, and it helps me process because I got this big old Cro-Magnon jaw, right? And it just feels good for me to chew. And <laughs> that's how I want to process it. I have to stop and go, okay, am I going to breathe? Am I going to walk? <laughs> Am I going to eat celery instead? <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to make a hat? <laughs> like, I, I, like to, I like to have like a toolkit. So everyone should have their own little tool. Not should. I should never use, I, I should never use the word should. <laughs> it would be optimal to have a toolkit that is personalized. <laughs> you, you know, it's so funny. You, you talked about your jaw and, you know, wanting something to chew. And it, I, it made me think like, why don't adults, why don't we have chew toys for adults? Why do, oh my why God, do only yes. babies and dogs get chew toys? Like right? I hate gum, but I would love a chew toy every now and again. Yeah. yeah right. Well, I remember when um, I had like wisdom teeth coming in, I'd get a wet washcloth. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you've got a thing. Get the wet washcloth. It, kind of, it really does feel good. I don't know. Like when somebody puts me on some smoothie diet, hell no. I need to, unless there's some big old pieces of ice and some, fruit in there like i i need to chew I, this is like a jaw this is a functional jaw <laughs> all right I, I if i see this on shark tank i know where you got the ideas from people exactly so, uh, <laughs> it's from you I, i'll give you a cut <laughs> of my chew yeah i, chew I love it you know along with we're talking about testosterone levels how much is sleep uh affected by that and and do you have a, a sleep hygiene or sleep protocol Yes. Um, I do not know how much in a percentage um, it is affected by that. And I think that is one of those bio-individual kind of things, but I know it is, let's call it um, approximately hella <laughs> important. Like it's super important. It's important to like, even like the foods, like grill, G, G, grilling. H, R, E, uh, grilling. Yeah. Like that is produced and whether or not you're going to eat carbs in it, carb crave the next day like i mean it's all related so sleep is, is is paramount um i do have some tips you know i talk about sleep with my clients a lot and there are different reasons why people wake up so i'm somebody who wakes up at like one two or three in the morning and if my thoughts get going then i'm you know i get really creative like i get creative ideas and sometimes i don't want to go back to sleep because i'm like wow that's brilliant and i'll get up and do like oh i'm going to register for that on GoDaddy too it'll be my 26th one or whatever like i, I get excited about things so i want to get up and you know get GoDaddy websites that i'll never use um but some people will wake up and have this is another one i did that's bad this one actually that one's fun this one's bad like my task list task list will plague me so if you have unopened loop, if you have open loops, tasks undone, your brain naturally wants to categorize and wants to close them. So if you can before bed, do a brain drain, like get a piece of paper and say, here are the thoughts that are bothering me. Here are the tasks that I would like to get done and get some of them done. But the ones you can't put it on the place, your shelving system or like your filing system doesn't need to be your brain. It's going to pop up and wake you up at four and go, <gasps> Don't forget to take out the garbage cans because tomorrow's trash day, like, you know, or whatever the thing is, or send that email. Like some of it, if you do it early enough in the evenings where you can get on your computer, you can get blast out like a couple things that are on that list. 
And then, or you can take, keep a journal and just write them all down and just drain them onto there. So that's one trick is for people who are like I am, whose brain gets busy. Other people can't fall asleep. And then sometimes maybe they want to do a meditation app or read a boring book, um, watch their light intake. What kind of light are they coming? There's so many things like that out now. Um, I have the aura ring and that's telling me about my sleep. Um, you know, what kind of sleep I'm getting and when, how, when I'm waking, um, people may not want to have a really big meal right before dinner. I mean, right before sleep, because that can especially like spicy something that can wake people up. If people drink wine before dinner, that might give you like the crash to make you feel tired at first, but then wake you up because you got a cortisol burst. Um, I would say that like, I mean, really holding a warm cup of tea or water, like, you know, something decaf, but the warming your hands is a calming. It actually kind of reverse engineers that can make people feel calm. An Epsom salt bath with um, the magnesium and the Epsom, like really is powerful. I like the lavender scented ones. Some of the people who do like talk about the endocrine stuff don't like scented things. Um, so there's a lot of things that you kind of got to figure out what's your, what's keeping you up. Is it your thoughts? Is it your task list? Is it something else? And, you know, kind of delving into it, but there's so many great articles and stuff out there now. So when someone knows what their thing is, I would go, I would look up functional medicine and the word sleep. And you might get like Dr. Hyman or something like you, if you, if you want to follow the functional medicine physicians and the gurus, I would say you're going to get some pretty good tips um, about anything because they're going to try to root cause. They're not just going to say, here's some melatonin, which is fine. Some people take melatonin. I get whacked out crazy ass dreams with melatonin. So that doesn't work for me. Like I'm already crazy. So I don't need the crazy dream inducers. <laughs> yeah the but, melatonin you know, it makes me groggy the next day i don't like how i feel oh, it, yeah i don't feel optimal. I feel horrible no magnesium's great but some people it'll make them run to the bathroom that's not a super sleepy endeavor <laughs> like you got to watch what kind of magnesium you're doing you know i've also <laughs> really um, restful i have stopped watching um like crime tv before bed you know, oh, anything yeah. that's too, you talked about adrenaline, how some people are uh, addicted to, um, you know, the, the push and pull in relationships. And that's exciting mm -hmm. because their, their parents probably, you know, gave them love and then took it away. And so they're, they're recreating mm -hmm. that. And I find that if I, there's some TV shows like, you know, Narcos or Ozark or any mm -hmm. of those adrenaline, mm -hmm. you know, pumping shows. I can't sleep. I have to do like yoga nidra. Before, before <laughs> bed and go for a walk and put my face in cold water. So I was like, babe, we got to wow. just watch like, um, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas or something before exactly. bed. Or <laughs> you, you can't even watch Bambi because Bambi's mom got shot. And there's the Bannerman issue again. <laughs> oh, all those Disney movies, uh, Lion King, Terrible. right? The father was, yeah. Oh, P.S. Leo. Like, think about what we've, they've been doing to children. This is, this is why we need to question grownups and our forefathers who made these decisions. Rockabye Baby, that song is about a baby who's going to fall out of the branches of the tree. That's what they were singing to the kid to make him go to sleep. <laughs> like, Ring Around the Rosies is about, about, I think it's about Nazis, like, or not, not, I mean, like, burning humans, like, and the ashes, 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 like, or, or, I don't think it was. I don't think it was the Nazis. It was like from bubonic plague or something like humans burning and then the ashes were coming down like horrible 
things they put in kids' movies, kids' songs and stuff. So when we have thoughts of like, well, this is what I should do, and this is the conventional way of thinking, why don't you question that shit? Because like some of it's like BS and not really well thought out. So sometimes we have like this pressure we're putting on ourselves about anything. I should be a doctor by now. Really? Who said, I mean, okay, well, question that. Like question stuff that you're feeling so bad about if it's not aligning with you. If you're somebody's telling you parents or somebody or some, you know, dead white guys from, you know, 200 years ago told you that, you know, if you're not working 50, 60 hours pulling a plow, you know, or, or the equivalent of that in, in an accountant's office right now that you're a failure, why don't you question that a little bit and go like, okay, who are those guys? And we're not Puritans anymore. We live in a different world. We don't have to be beholden to their thoughts way back then. Different thoughts about marriage, different thoughts. Like we can create our own reality now within the confines of being ethical, nice humans and, and not put pressure on ourselves about things that aren't really aligned with us. You know, I think some people like have, especially some cultures more than others, there's like, you know, a lot of pressure from parents to be, to achieve, achieve, achieve. And, 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 you know, these, all these people are, because when I first started coaching, it was a lot of men and women who had been like, they were lawyers and they were like, I hate being a lawyer. I really want to decorate cakes. You know, I really want to you know, tango dance. I really I'm like, you know, and like we've worked out things where they left their practice. Some stayed in and found a law that they love and other ones left and did something and they're fabulously successful now in a different way, you know, in a, in a real life way that where they're freaking happy. So I don't know how I got on that tangent, but no, but you know, you, you brought up an important point because I, I feel like so many people are achieve, 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 accomplish, accomplish, you know, checking things off their to-do list. And they at no point have taken time to ask why, why they want this thing. You know, my, I, I take mm-hmm. Spanish and the other day my Spanish teacher was like, why are you taking Spanish? And because I wasn't doing the homework. <laughs> And then I realized I got into it out of a sense of inadequacy. I was with a friend and she spoke Spanish and we were out somewhere. And then there was another couple they spoke Spanish and they started speaking Spanish back and forth. And I felt so left out. I was like, I never want to feel this feeling again. And then I was like, but then that means I would have to learn every language because, you know, that's not the only (laughs) language on the planet. And am I going to exhaust myself trying to learn the million languages uh, on the world in the world, you know? Well, it's funny that you say that. Okay, so that goes back to the beginning of our conversation because that feeling of feeling left out, you all three can have a conversation and I can't have it with you, is that isolation that we're talking about. That is The reason it feels so bad for a lot of people is that old messaging of our on a cellular level of our survival mechanism of like, I'm not part of this tribe. They can, I mean... It, we can get paranoid about, oh, they're talking. And I, I hate when I'm around people speaking another language. I don't know what they're saying. I feel out of control a little bit. Like, I feel like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know what they're saying. Like, you know, there's, there's a, something about that that tells us we're not safe. Uh, and, and people who, have, who grew up really, really safe maybe don't feel that way. But people with those of us who have, I mean, I don't, I'm not putting you in this loop because I don't know your childhood, but like a bunch of people who had trauma or the threat of trauma or, you know, any kind of isolation or, you know, feeling outside of the, of, of, of the in group or whatever can feel that way and it can be triggered. And that's exactly 
as simple as what you just said is little, little triggers throughout the day. And what I found during COVID and is that I was left alone with mine, having gone through a divorce, my son, who's like, like, I mean, the light of joy in my life. I have a daughter who's like my biggest inspiration, but he is my, he just like is my soul nectar. Like this kid is so sweet and kind and loving. He just, I just, I, I'm so attached to him. So there's my separation anxiety, but like, I love him so much. And he's such a soothing person in my life. He left for college, you know, and, and, and so I got divorced. He left for college. I moved twice. I moved to a town where I didn't, I mean, even though it's 45 minutes away from where I used to live, I didn't know anybody during COVID and all this, like, oh, the world, we're all doomed, you know, all these stuff's going on. It was a lot. And then to be in a relationship where the guy was like, amazing, you're amazing. Okay, I'm going to see you in a few weeks, maybe. Like, yeah. So I had all these, I was just at one point, I was like, oh, I have so many triggers going off. I'm exhausted. But, and I haven't done anything yet today. And it's like noon and I want to go to sleep. <laughs> like, And it wasn't even like classic depression. It was just my nervous system. I felt fried. And then I went to, to go to Hoffman, which is like you go through, I don't know, the Hoffman process. We talked about it briefly when I met you, but like you go and churn up all your childhood stuff. I walked out of there like I had wires like in the rain going, you know, I'm great now. I'm so glad. I, I'm so glad all of it happened. But like, we have to give ourselves a break. That's why self-care is not selfish. It is essential to say, I'm fried right now. I am wired, tired, and I need a break. And I need that bath with my Epsom salts. And I need some water with, I'm going to put little cucumbers in it and a violet, you know, or whatever. Like I do lots of like nice little things for myself and I don't feel bad about it at all. I do it because I need it sometimes. I need that. I need the conversation with my girlfriend. I need the spoon. I need to play with my dogs. You know, like sometimes I do need the tortilla chips if I'm going to sleep. <laughs> you know, like we need to be nice to ourselves. We need to love ourselves well. We're not going to hate ourselves well. It doesn't work. I tried. It doesn't work. But loving ourselves well, oh my God, yes. That works. It works beautifully. I love that, you know, we got to love ourselves. We need to love ourselves well, not hate, because we can't hate ourselves well. There's, there's no such thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a contradiction. No such thing. It might inspire someone to, like, diet, you know, that week before the wedding or some kind of thing. Like, you know, but then you're done. Like, your adrenals are going to crap out on you. <laughs> like, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable way of life. No. But love is. It is about love. And, and you know, when we love ourselves, we're nicer to other people. There's so much um, out there about inflammation right now. And, and you know, with your certifications in uh, Alzheimer's prevention and even when we look at suicidality, mm -hmm. on some level, they're, they're talking about how, you know, it's related to inflammation. And I'm sure there's a lot of that with traumatic brain injury. Can you mm -hmm. talk to us about what contributes to inflammation and how sure. that relates to our mental health? Yes. Well, there are like, just like I would say about Alzheimer's and a lot of things, it's a multi-pronged problem that has, you know, multi-pronged solutions, right? So 
I would say like if I did like sugar is super inflammatory. I mean, sugar is just killing us, right? Sugar is just, I'm sorry. I love it, but it's not good. Um, we have foods with lots of hormones in them that are changing our own physiology. We have um, foods that are, there's something called leaky gut syndrome that didn't really, wasn't in, studied very much years ago. And now it's finally like got enough research behind it that, that more conventional people are understanding, more conventional medicine are understanding that certain foods can trigger us. So here's an example. Um, if you have little perforations in your intestinal lining, which you wouldn't know if you do really, but a lot of us do if, 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 if we've had like too many antibiotics or a bunch of Advil or there's different things that can cause it, you know, different illnesses or whatever. Um, we can have little tiny perforations and some food can get into our bloodstream. It doesn't belong there. So you could eat something that is a healthy food, like an avocado. But if avocado got through the little perforation, went into your bloodstream, your body would be like, wee wah, wee wah, avocado, it's an invader. And when you eat avocado the next time, you can have inflammation because your body is reacting, doing what it thinks it needs to do. It's like inflammation is kind of like a overprotective mother. It's like, wee wah, wee wah, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'm going to help you. And you're like, you know, with an, like an overprotective mother, you're like, shh, I got this. Like, listen, it's a little, you think you're doing well, but you're doing a little too much, right? I talk to my inflammation. I go, okay, I got this. I see what you're doing, but like, it's too much. So, so back to leaky gut, we can have anything in us that that's causing a food intolerance. So people getting their food intolerance test is really a good idea. I had really healthy things on there. I had oats, avocado, trout. I did that list, pumpkin. Every Halloween, I was getting a migraine and throwing up. And I was like, I, and people were like, you must hate Halloween. I'm like, I love Halloween. I'm so bummed. But I was eating, I was carving a pumpkin. I had stock market hours because I used to be in the hedge fund and stock market world. And I would be home by three and I'd carve my pumpkin and I'd eat the pumpkin seeds. And then I'd be throwing up with a migraine before the kids came. And I love watching the kids. So I was like, it didn't make sense, right? It was the pumpkin. And so you know, when I got my food intolerance test, I was like, oh my God, I finally put it together. But that's what it was. So food, really even healthy foods or unhealthy food can become a food trigger. Um, alcohol can cause inflammation. I mean, that becomes a sugar. Um, so um, basically, if you have inflammation in your body, and your you have inflammation probably in your brain. So like if people who have the knees that are inflamed or whatever, like you kind of like your body's connected <laughs> and people think, oh, there's this blood brain barrier and it's not going into the brain. It, you know, it, it, there's ways for it to get into the brain. Um, if we're not sleeping, we're not clearing out, we're not giving our body the restoration that it needs to. So just even not sleeping can cause not breathing properly. We're not getting, we're, we're divinely made. Like we're actually these amazing amazing bodies that are set up to really protect do phenomenal work right and like really function but the way we're living by not going to sleep you know we're, I mean we were made to go to sleep at sundown and wake up at sunrise and we're not doing that so we're just we don't our bodies haven't had enough time to adjust to this new way of living in this modern world so thoughts can cause that cell danger response to go off and cause us inflammation foods can some medications can, alcohol, drug, I mean, brain injuries can. I mean, there's a pretty extensive list. Um, but uh, you can, another thing too is to be wary of is um, 
when people have dental work done, sometimes people go get a root canal and they will like have some infection in their mouth. Like that's really close to your brain. When they want to give you those antibiotics, I'd take them. Like I'm not big on antibiotics, but like if you have an infection, um, you know, there's some Western, like I, I'm not against Western medicine at all. I, I'm like, that's when I need to go to the ER, take me and put, do, do what you need to do. But, um, so like I will take antibiotics if I have something like that, like a, I had to do, do a root canal and there's a lot of, a lot of evidence showing of, you know, people getting their mouth sewn up with, well, there's an infection in there and then finding out for 10 years later, for the next 10 years, they've got something systemic going on. That infection was sewn up into their body, like into their mouth with into their bloodstream now. So there's things that are causing inflammation that we're not really seeing the root cause. And there's all kinds of documentaries on all this stuff now. So I think people are, who are interested in are learning about it. Is there anything in, in regards to, we talked about sleep, we talked about diet, we even talked about like daily routines um, and, and ways yeah. to self-care and uh, food intolerances. Are there, if somebody's struggling with traumatic brain injury or bipolar disorder, what tests would you order? And I know everybody is different, but we talked about yeah. getting a food intolerance test. If we're, if we're trying to figure out what's going on from the inside out, what, what were some yeah. things that you'd be like, let's click through these? Okay. So one place that does this really well, and it is expensive, unfortunately, I would love to see somebody, hey, if any billionaires are watching, we need a center where this gets paid for for people because uh, 60 plus percent of our homeless issue is people with traumatic brain injury. Okay, so and battered women, sometimes we're like, why didn't she leave? Well, her executive functioning might be off because her face has been bashed in a few times. Like, I mean, there's things where people aren't making greatest decisions, right? Or we have populations where they're under so much stress all the time, worried about being assaulted or, or picked on that they're constantly on fight or flight. So they've got inflammation all the time. I mean, there's things where I'm kind of off topic, but there's things that we can look at like that. But if, when it comes to really assessing the brain, which I think is your question, and our lives and our bodies, where do we go? So Amen Clinics, Daniel Amen, who by some people's standards, you know, he's an early adopter of, of non-conventional, what used to be non-conventional measures to um, look at the brain, which is now very conventional, but at the time he was, you know, considered a quack and he absolutely, in my mind, is not. Um, he will do a brain spec scan. I've had one done. And you could see on my brain spec, first of all, they take a freaking, oh my God, like 20 page history and they do a brain scan and you can see, he's like, oh, well, did something happen back here? It looks like you had an injury. Yeah. You know what? I, I, it showed up that I had bashed my head back here. And I was just sitting in my son's gaming chair and falling backwards and hitting my head, which I didn't think was, I felt it in my teeth, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. That showed up where there was inactivity, like a, something had happened where I didn't have circulation there. He could tell that I have, I've had in conjunction with my, with my um, questionnaire, he could tell that they asked the questions to determine, have you had mold exposure? Yes, I had. I had had water damage in my house. Mold exposure can cause anxiety, depression, weight gain, fatigue, body aches. Okay, that's a huge one. So they'll find that out. They'll test you there. They'll stick this ginormous swab up your nose, which is not comfortable, but the mycotoxin kind of test to see if you had mold exposure. 
if they think you've had some water damage. They'll say to people, have you had mold exposure? No. Have you had water damage? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, might have mold exposure. And they will test you for, they can test you for infections. They can do a fecal test that you, like, you send that in by mail. You tell you, because you might have E. coli or, I mean, that's not a fun test, but you're going to find out if you've got something that could be affecting you. You can do a blood test about your food intolerances and other measures, like all kinds of labs that they're going to do. And they will tell you if you've had, like there's one called toxioplasmosis that people get from inhaling when they're cleaning the kitty litter. That can cause schizophrenia. So there's things like that they're going to test people for. They will look at and see where an injury might be. So, so they will say, they will wonder, will you have Lyme? Will, have you been exposed to Lyme, Lyme disease possibly, which is hard to determine, but there are certain tests that are like more conclusive, especially in conjunction with your questionnaire. And they will do the SPECT scans. So psychiatry is one of the only MD or like, I mean, it is a, you know, it's considered medicine and, but they don't look at your bot. They don't really look at your brain. They, they, they give you prescriptions based on anecdotal information. But if you, if you were going to get an x-ray and get your arm fixed, you'd have an x-ray. They would look at it. They're not really looking at the brain to see what, what Daniel Amen and Dr. Daniel Amen is looking at. And he can see those things. And it's not a hundred percent accurate. It's in conjunction with the questionnaire like that. So they can determine what path you might use to correct or to optimize your situation. And they, and there are certain parts of the brain that are going to cause people to be more violent. There are certain parts of the brain where if there's like not enough activity or too much activity, real serious OCD and worries and anxiety. So depending upon where you may have had an injury, by the way, our brain is like soft, like jello butter kind of consistency. And it's in a skull that like even a, even like a, a roller coaster, something like that, or being in a car and not hitting your head, but having whiplash, it moves around in there. It can get injured by your own, you know, just hitting your own school. A header with a soccer ball, people don't realize. So there's things that we're not even, that's why I'm saying like everyone's, there's so many people struggling with anxiety and depression without realizing there might be a physiological part to it, a component. And then when he talks to them and they say that and he shows them on their brain, somebody who's been smoking too much weed, you know, I know that's like a big deal now, but like it, that can show up in the brain. So especially the young brains that aren't even formed all the way until like they're 28 years old. So there's things that they can kind of see and ask the questions and say, okay, this, this might be your protocol. And then, so I'm a, I'm a certified functional medicine coach and I did do a training with the Amen clinic so that I can, I can help their clients, their patients implement some of the recommendations that they that they use. I don't get paid, I don't get referrals or anything like that through that. I just like would work with someone if they, you know, I actually I've mostly sent people there versus the other way around. Um, because I have thought, well, you've tried all these other things. Let's look at this. And then we've seen where somebody's had multiple car accidents and you're like, oh dear, we gotta like, you know, look at that. So I went myself. I everything I recommend to everybody, I don't think I've ever I mean I shouldn't say it so matter of fact, but I don't know that I have recommended something that I haven't tried myself. I can't think of anything. There might be like somewhere, but, um, I went and I saw a lot of stuff I needed to fix. Fix isn't a good word, but like address. And, um, I did hyperbaric oxygen therapy, HBOT. And I need to go get my other scan. I can just tell you that I feel so much better because I address Lyme disease, mold exposure, um, and a 
the brain injury should have been addressed by the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. I did a major, like I had a little, I didn't have that many metals, but I had in the past had mercury, uh, mercury poisoning, which I had already previously done a, a deep, like a detox and a, a chelation because I had had major mercury exposure. So mercury is a neurotoxin. Mercury is in some of our um, thimerosal, like some of the flu shots we get or vaccines we get. It's a preservative. So some people are getting, you know, they, they don't understand how much mercury just because maybe they're eating a lot of sushi or maybe they had dental work done. That's a big neurotoxin. So there's metals that we could be. Even like people were taking lots of ashwagandha and some of the ashwagandha had toxic metal in it. So like they think they're doing something good, but there's traces of it. So that's a place where somebody can go and get all that tested. Or they could go to like Parsley Health, which is a more affordable thing, and they can go ask them for a battery of tests. They're not going to have, they're not going to have a, uh, they're not going to have a spec scan, which I thought was useful. I really, really, really wish it was less expensive than it is, and I would really love to see someone fund something where people, you know, the regular people can go and get these things done, and it's more accessible because it's not paid for by insurance. Um, uh, I will say one thing is, and I know I mentioned this to you, these, this couple, um, Dr. Scherze and um, Aisha and Dean Scherze, they have the 30-day Alzheimer's solution, even though it's about Alzheimer's. This is about your brain, a healthy brain. And um, they're finding that plant-based eating, which I'm kind of bummed about because I really could eat a brontosaurus burger like Fred Flintstone, um, but plant-based eating is really healthy for the brain. Um, alcohol is not, which I was also bummed about because I was pretty excited that they were recommending a glass of wine for a while. <laughs> but um, this is a, there's ways to eat that are going to, that's going to reduce people's um, uh, inflammation and, and lots of lifestyle tips in here. So if somebody um, wanted to just get a book like this, this is all about the brain. And, and it's a lot of lifestyle things in here. And, and they are, they are now, they've determined that since there's no prevention, I mean, there's no cure for Alzheimer's, but there is prevention. And what I'm going to say about this is this is about, this book is about Alzheimer's, but it's really about mental health also, because the measures that they talk in here, like for instance, exercise, which we've not talked about, exercise statistically when they measured it against Prozac was more effective than Prozac or by there's only like a 1% change. I'm not telling anyone go off their Prozac, but I'm not. And I, cause some people need it and that's not my call at all. But statistically exercise, which a lot of people aren't trying is a really great lifestyle measure. It is sometimes it's not just about the exercise and the heart rate variability and the HIIT and the BDNF and the things that are produced from it. It's sometimes getting outside. It's part of it might be saying hi to your neighbor and feeling part of your community. A daily walk reduced Alzheimer's um, uh, by, uh, I want to say 30%, the daily walk. Thir somewhere between like 30 and 40%. I'm terrible with numbers, but it was something really high like that. A, a daily walk. I mean, we're not talking about like a hiking the Himalayas. We're talking about walking around the neighborhood. So there's things about exercise of being, you know, I live by the beach and you go out to the beach and there's like positive, like negative ions that are like in 
feeding your microbiome more diversity, which helps your gut, which, you know, the gut brain access is great. So there's things about getting outside, seeing sunlight, because your vitamin D is going to like be replenished if you go out and see sunshine in the morning. So there's a lot of lifestyle type things. And, you know, this isn't the only book, but it's one that I, that just came out and all the money goes to Alzheimer's research. Like they, this is, you know, this is, they've got a whole longevity push in Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach and Redondo Beach um, to enhance people's lives with lifestyle. Lifestyle's huge. So um, for people who can't afford to go to Amen Clinic, um, maybe try Parsley Health and get some of the, the functional medicine tests done you know, for the testing for metals and food intolerance, that kind of thing. And for people who just want to try a, a, a healthier diet, you know, read, read some of the Alzheimer's diets. And this is, I don't want to say human diet, lifestyle. This is um, preventing cognitive decline. But like I said, everything in here would also good for your heart. It's good for stroke. I mean, so there's a lot of great things. And I will say one community, that, two communities that really, really need um, an upgrade um, unfortunately, because their numbers are terrible, is the Hispanic um, population and African American population. It's significantly higher. So, and when females, women, way higher for women. And it's not just that they're living longer; they they tested against that too. So, we can all, you know, we can all be doing it together. And that connection is really important. Having connection. I love that. And I thank you for sharing all that with us. Where can our listeners find you, Michelle Gillette? Well, I would say go to Instagram because I um, keep saying I'm going to upgrade my website, but my website designer went and got hitched and I can't find her and I don't know any passwords. <laughs> so I would say go to Instagram, um, Michelle Gillette underscore. I mean, I have to fix it and I meant to today and I meant to yesterday too, but whatever. I also, it's like, do that or do I really walk my talk and go exercise? <laughs> you know, so anyway, you can go to my website. There's plenty of good stuff on there. I haven't updated like even my new credentials. Um, I am, I am right now trying to become a certified breathing coach as well. At some point I'm going to stop getting certified because I am enough, Leo. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to keep getting certifications. I've learned that recently. Um, but I also just, I geek out and I love it. I'm like, infectiously passionate about learning and helping. And I don't know, I just think it's a fun, very neuroprotective thing to do to keep learning. That would be another thing. So um, I long winded way of saying go to Instagram or my website, just know that I haven't updated everything. There's like a chicken broth recipe from five years ago on there. <laughs> and I'll put a link to uh, your website and also the books that we mentioned during this episode. Yeah, um, right. So I will, I'll, I'll take, I'll send you a screenshot of each one or if I'm really nice, I will send you the link on Amazon if that, that helps you. Um, but yeah, so it was breathe. It was um, the 30 day Alzheimer's solution um, eating plan. And what happened to you, which I've started reading, but man, there's some good videos. This is the one with Oprah and Bruce Perry. Since anyone with early childhood trauma, there's some shrapnel guys. It's, it's, it's in there. It'll come up. Oh. And, and for some people more than others. So, and then I didn't even mention this one, but, and this one's, I'm not going to rec recommend that one. It's too technical. Never mind. It's a good book for doctors. <laughs> The, uh, the last question, Michelle Gillette, is I always imagine that there's one person listening in 
who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, uh, what would you say to them, Michelle? Okay, so this one's going to make me cry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Um, people look at my life because I've, you know, by some standards have been successful. I went on to be the senior VP of a hedge fund. I put myself through college. I've got two beautiful children. I have an amicable divorce. And, you know, I'm pretty fit for being 54. There has been so many times when I needed my dad. And the reason I haven't written the story, because I want to one day, kind of, I just, the reason I haven't is I don't want to look, I don't want somebody to look at me and go, well, she did okay. I needed my dad. There were so many times when I did, and he thought that he didn't add any, he would have added any value. I was in some pretty bad situations that wouldn't have happened had he been there. And I needed him even like, last year, my daughter who was just like, you know, I, I, I have this feeling all the time. Like I miss your dad. I didn't even know him. I wish I knew him because they both like horses. And so, like, there's, there's so much loss that happened that he didn't factor in that the loss of opportunity, I guess, loss of opportunity. And, and, um, I was, I'm not mad at him, but I feel the loss of him. And for anyone who thinks that like, you know, their teenager doesn't show them enough respect and they don't cause they're teenagers and they're not supposed to, they're supposed to be separating from you because of DNA that tells us separate from your parents and question everything they do and act like an asshole for a bunch of years so you can separate properly. Um, that doesn't mean you're not valuable, you know, like they may teenagers or kids might not be able to reflect back to you how important you are. And even adults can't, cause maybe sometimes they don't have the skills. Right. But that that's not a reflection of your value and stick around, man. Like, I mean, I could tell you some horrendous things that like wouldn't happen, you know, and, 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 and just the beautiful things that didn't happen. And I, and I'm bummed about it and I'm bummed about it for my daughter. Who, who like would have he would have freaking loved her really like they would have been like this and and it, and um so i think about that and it's not true whoever needs to see this it's not true that you're not valuable it's not true that you aren't going to be needed and it and missed so i'm just telling you flat out like that's a lie and and don't let it be a convenient one that talks you into doing something because I've lived it. And there's been a lot of times I really, really wish he were around. So don't do it. Get help. And there's plenty of help now. And it's really, we're really close to making it more accessible. So that's what I would say. Thank you so much, Michelle Gillette. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the million of other numbers. We have international numbers if you're in Sri Lanka, Budapest. If, if you're in uh, you know, Egypt, there are suicide hotline numbers. There are chats. There are um, there are books. There, there are groups. And there are also organizations that will help you pay for your mental health. So don't let finances be a burden. There are plenty of free opportunities and there are plenty of people out there who are 
waiting to help you, but you have to make that first step and reach out. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Leo. Your work's so important.